Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting life. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. series, uh, The Journey to God's Promises. Um, today we start a, a two-part uh, series within that series, uh, A Night to Remember. And you know, um, most of us can remember uh, a night, a day, a week, uh, a season uh, of our lives where uh, something defining, something pivotal uh, something that materially affected the rest of our lives took place. Um, for some, it might have been uh, a wedding. It might have been the birth of a child. Um, it might have been uh, um, a season where you prospered and flourished like never before. Um, it might have been uh, an examination you passed. Um, it might have been uh, being saved from or delivered from some impending disaster or delivered from some calamity, maybe an accident, uh, and the list goes on and on and on. We can remember when we think of that night, that day, that, that week, that, that season, uh, we can remember the joy that filled our hearts, the exhilaration, the, the sense of freedom that came our way, the unrestrained delight, the excitement at exact at, at what had happened and how uh, what had happened we knew was so pivotal uh, to our future. Well, the children of Israel had a night like that. It was a special night, a night that they told their children and their children's children and they recounted it and documented it. A very special night, a night that was filled with all these emotions that I have described. Uh, and we are going to talk about that night to remember. But before we do, I wanted to, in a sense, uh, premise what happened on, uh, on that night uh, upon a series of events that took place prior to it. In fact, upon one major thing that took place and led to a series of events that built up into that night to remember. Uh, and what was that thing that took place? Well, it was that God made a covenant with their father, Abraham. You see, everything God does is premised upon a covenant. God is a covenant-making God and a covenant-keeping God. And all we are going to discuss, all we will see that happened on that, that particular night, that night to remember, was premised upon a covenant. Now, a covenant, what's that? I think in, in plain language, it's an agreement. It's a, it's a contract. It's a pledge. It's a promise. A promise that God makes to his people. And in their case, a promise that God made to Abraham and that led to all the things that we will eventually discuss especially around that night to remember. Hundreds of years before uh, that night to remember, God made a promise to Abraham. And I'd like to take you back to that fateful night 
when God made that promise, that covenant, when God made a pledge to Abraham. Um, it's documented for us, of course, in the Bible, in Genesis, the 15th chapter. I'm going to be telling you a bit of a story uh, today, so please just stay with me. In Genesis, the 15th chapter, uh, from the 6th verse. Now, prior to that, um, God had made a promise to Abraham, a promise that uh, he, he would have children that were countless. Now, at that point in time, Abraham had no child of his own, and his fear was that all that God had blessed him with would be inherited by uh, the son of his servant. But God said to him, no, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a child. And not just a child, I'm going to give you countless children. Um, and Abraham, the Bible tells us, believed what God said. He believed what God promised him. And the Bible says it was accounted to him uh, for righteousness. Now, that's another message on its own. But I just want to say in here that it's very, very instructive that before the law came, before the Ten Commandments, before the things that told us what to do that was right and, and, and what, 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 what not to do that was wrong, before all that, that God had already entered a relationship with Abraham that was based purely on faith, a mirror of our own relationship with, with, with God, that God, Abraham believed God, trusted God, and God said, your belief and your trust, your faith in me makes you right before me. A mirror of our own relationship where we don't earn our relationship by our works. We don't even earn it by, by, the, by obedience to the laws to, or to the law, but we earn it by faith and we get a grace from God to live right and obey the law. But that's for another time. Um, the Bible records that God now said to him that uh, he should go and bring certain animals, um, a heifer, a, a female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought them to God. He cut them in two, uh, placed each on opposite sides. Um, and, then, and then as the sun was going down, he fell into a very deep sleep. And then God came to him and God said this to him. Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. I know uh, later we hear that they were in, in, in uh, captivity for 430 years. Well, the, the, the historians tell us that the 30 years is the added years that they surgeoned prior to uh, the countdown began for them to be delivered. So he says, you will be in captivity for, for, for this amount of time, 400 years. Or, and also, the nation whom they serve, I will judge afterward that they shall come out with great possessions. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace and you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. What was all that about? God said, after telling him to bring the things that were needed to make a covenant, the the, 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 all the animals, cut them in two, lay them on opposite sides. He fell into a deep sleep. And when he fell into a sleep, the covenant-keeping God came to him and told him that I just want to tell you that your descendants, these descendants I've promised you, will find themselves in captivity. At a certain time, I will come and deliver them from that captivity. And the Bible says, and it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven 
and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. This was symbolic of God sealing the covenant. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, To your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, the Rephim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gigashites, and all the many eyes, the Jebusites. What was God saying? God was saying, before Abraham even had a child, before there was a physical manifestation that would encourage Abraham that what God said could possibly come to pass. God was saying to him, I make a covenant with you. Now, of course, your, your, your descendants will enter into captivity, but the covenant I am making with you will guarantee that they come out of captivity and they inherit, inherit this land that I am giving to you. Now, remember, we have said that for them, God's promise was land, physical land. For us, God's promises are the, are the promises that are written in the Bible. So God made a covenant with Abraham and that was the beginning and the genesis of the night to remember. And of course, from then on, I can only imagine that as they went, started their journey, that life continued, the ebbs and flows of life, sometimes up, sometimes down. I suspect that what God said to them faded into the backgrounds of their memory as they just grappled with life. Uh, a famine came. Eventually, the father of the nation, by this time, um, Isaac had been born, uh, uh, Jacob had been born, and Esau, the nation had grown uh, to a fairly large collection of people. And the father of the nation, Isaac, uh, took the family down to Egypt uh, to go and live in Egypt because by, by this time, Joseph had been sold by his brothers into Egypt and had gone through uh, Potiphar's house, gone through the, the king's jail, and had now ascended the throne as prime minister of Egypt. And as he said himself, he was sent by God to prepare a place for his brothers, his, his father, for his uh, kindred, for his nation. And so Isaac took all of them down to Egypt and Joseph gave them a very, very, very choice part of Egypt. It was a place called Goshen. It was the most verdant in Egypt. It was the most fertile in Egypt. It, it, there was a famine all around, but Goshen, there was no famine in Goshen. Now, that's the principle that, that it doesn't matter what happens all around. Uh, as long as you have the presence of God, you will be in a Goshen because that's how God treats his own. The children of Israel were in Goshen. But then as time went on, the Bible records that eventually a king came to the throne, a new pharaoh came to the throne, and he didn't know who Joseph was. He didn't have the relationship that Joseph had with the other pharaoh. He didn't, he didn't understand that Joseph had delivered Egypt from the famine because of the wisdom that God gave him. And as the Bible records in Exodus, the first chapter from the 8th to the 10th verse, he said to his, his advisors, look at the people, they are numerous, they are stronger. If there is a war, they will join our enemies. Uh, we need to do something about them. And so he decided to do something about them. The Bible records in Exodus, the first chapter from the 11th to the 14th verse, what he did. Uh, and, and you just need to listen to this. This is where they started their journey into slavery. So what did he do? The Bible says, so the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them. 
hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread. May that be your testimony, that the more the enemy tries to come against you, the more you establish, the more you multiply, the more you spread. And then this alarmed the Egyptians even more. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. Now, the children of Israel for a while had enjoyed relative peace and prosperity in Goshen. But then a Pharaoh comes to the throne who doesn't know Joseph and panics because the children of Israel are prospering and flourishing. And so he decides that he needs to do something about them to control them, to break their backs, to put them in servitude, to put them in slavery. The Bible calls it brutal slave drivers that were released against them. He made their lives bitter. He enforced and oppressed them. He worked them to the bones. He was ruthless in their demands. Does that remind you of someone? It certainly reminds me of someone. It reminds me of the kind of life that we were living before Christ came into our lives, before we accepted him as our Lord and Savior. It reminds me, that Pharaoh, that Pharaoh reminds me of another brutal, brutal, brutal and wicked and evil slave master. It reminds me of our old adversary, Satan. It reminds me of how he makes people toil, how he's ruthless in his demands, how he traps a young man in the cycle of addiction to drugs, traps someone in the cycle of addiction to pornography, how he breaks up homes, how he causes children to suffer, how he destroys marriage, how he marriages, how he seeks to heap shame and disgrace and dishonor on people, how he makes people's lives bitter. And we all were there, how he trapped us in darkness, how he made us go around in circles, how we worked so hard, but we couldn't see the fruit of our labor. We went out every day to the fields. We worked till our fingers were, were, were literally broken, but we could not see the fruit of our labor. It reminds me of that slave master Satan, how he wanted our backs broken, how he was ruthless, how he was wicked, and how he was evil. Well, for the children of Israel, you think it couldn't get worse? It actually got worse. After a while, Pharaoh realized that these people, despite the servitude, despite the slavery, despite the ruthlessness, were multiplying. And so he hatched a plot. He decided that he would kill all the male children that were born to the children of Israel. Do you think that he had an idea or perchance a premonition? Maybe he sensed that the delivery of these people has to do with a male child. Your guess is as good as mine. I think that he had a sense that it had to do with a male child. So what did he do? His instruction to the Hebrew, wife ship, Hebrew midwife Shipran poor. He called them and said to them, if the Hebrew women give birth to a child that is male, they are to kill that child on on the, on the bed that the child is born on. But then the women were good women. They couldn't do that against God's people. So they ducked his instructions. 
But then he realized that they were not killing the male children. And listen to his, his final instruction in Exodus, the first chapter and the 22nd verse. Then Pharaoh gave this order to his people, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. Brutal? Yes. It was actually more than physically murdering them. This was a confrontation between gods, Jehovah on one hand, and the God of Egypt on the other hand. For the Nile was not just a river. It was a deity to the people of Egypt. They worshipped it. And this was an attempt to sacrifice the best of the, of the Hebrew, Hebrew people, the best of the Jews, to this God of the Egyptians, the Nile. Throw every child born into the Nile was the instruction from Pharaoh to his officials. It was typical of Satan, typical of Pharaoh. This wicked and evil and brutal attempt to bring havoc on a people. Let's stop God's plan, I can imagine he said. Let's kill the deliverer so that there will be no one to save them. But he obviously hadn't read his Bible. Because the Bible tells us in Psalms 33 verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plan of his heart to all generations. One translation puts it like this, the Lord's plans stand firm forever. His intentions can never be shaken. Can I declare that into your life? It doesn't matter what the enemy has brought against you. It doesn't matter what schemes have been planned in the pits of hell. It doesn't matter what his machinations are. It doesn't matter what his plots are. I declare to you on the word of God, the promise of God, that his plans for you, for your family, stand firm forever. His intentions for you can never be shaken, not by any plot, not by any scheme, not by any work of darkness. It can never be shaken. You see, I always say to people that as the psalmist tells us that before he was formed, every step of his was written in the book. We are grateful that the book has been finished. We are grateful that God is the author of the book. We are grateful that despite all his attempts, Satan can change what was written in the book. You know, the truth is that God is a covenant-keeping God. He had made a covenant hundreds of years before. That covenant had to stand. That's why there was nothing that Satan, nothing that Pharaoh could do to stop God's plans from coming to pass. You know, this has parallels with our own life. Remember, we started out talking about that. We started out by saying this journey was about types and shadows. The children of Israel were physical. Uh, we are his children spiritually. Uh, the children of Israel uh, possessed land. We possess the promises of God. The children of Israel fought physical tribes, Hittites and Kenizzites and and, and, and Jebusites and Amalekites and Amorites and, and the list goes on and on. They fought physical tribes to enter God's promises. We don't fight physical tribes. We fight spiritual tribes that Paul highlights for us in Ephesians, the sixth chapter and the 12th verse. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against an organized hierarchy of spiritual tribes that are wicked and evil, sitting under the control of Satan. We wrestle against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. They have the same intention. 
The physical tribes wanted to stop the children of Israel from entering the land that was spacious, large, verdant, flowing with milk and honey. The spiritual tribes want to stop us from entering all the promises that God has for you and I. And it's interesting that there are many more parallels because somehow the enemy sensed that Moses was a deliverer, that Moses was going to deliver the children of Israel to enter God's promises. I think the same thing happened with regards to our own deliverer. For they had Moses, we have Jesus. And the kingdom of darkness sensed in some way that this deliverance of these people from servitude and slavery, from, from oppression and toiling, from the bitterness of work without labor, from a life of darkness and from being the servant, the slave of sin. It has to do with this baby that has been born. And so Herod sitting on the throne says to the wise men, when you go to worship the baby, will you let me know where the baby is so that I too can go to worship? But then the Spirit of God comes upon the wise men and the wise men realize that this is a plot of Herod's. And so they depart another way. The Bible tells us that when Herod realizes this, he is enraged. Matthew, the second chapter and the 16th verse. Then Herod, when he realized that he had been misled by the wise men, was furiously enraged. And he sent and put to death all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that territory who were two years old and under, reckoning according to the date which he had investigated diligently and had learned exactly from the wise men. They tell us that in that account, historians tell us 14,000 children were killed. 14,000 children were slaughtered. The intention was that Jesus would be slaughtered. But then God had a covenant. God made promises. The prophets had spoken in times past. It surely had to come to pass. But then it is humbling for you and I to think that that was the price that was paid for what eventually came to us. The prophet had recorded it prior to hundreds of years before. Who says the Bible is not the word of God? Hundreds of years before the prophet Jeremiah had prophesied what was happening in Bethlehem. In Jeremiah 31 verse 15, and the Bible records it in Matthew's gospel, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. For you and I, the enemy was determined to stop our deliverer from rescuing us from slavery, but he failed. There was a cost. 14,000 children were killed, but he failed. The reason he failed is because God's plan will always come to pass and God is a covenant-keeping God. But let's go back to our story. As the officials start to implement the instruction of Pharaoh to kill all the firstborn or all the male children that are born, Moses' mother tries to hide him. But after a while, a few months, it becomes impossible to hide him. You can imagine. Uh, how do you keep a child, a baby quiet? How do you stop him from crying? Maybe the neighbors have lost their child. Their own child has been killed. Maybe somebody's going to snitch on you. Maybe somebody's going to tell the officials, tell the intelligence service that you're hiding a Hebrew child. And so one day, knowing that she can no longer hide him, she puts him in a basket and takes him to the river and puts him, the basket amongst the reeds on the river. Now, 
This is mind-blowing as to the power of God. This Nile, this river, is a deity. But if God says the mouth of a deity cannot open to swallow his own, the deity has to bow to God. For the basket is put on the river. And rather than a wave come and overturn the basket, I am sure in obedience to the creator of the ends of the earth, the Nile rocked that basket gently until that boy fell asleep. And God's timing is awesome. For at that moment, Pharaoh's daughter, the Bible tells us, was walking along the banks of the Nile with her handmaidens on her way to take a bath. She turns and notices the basket. Oh, and I forgot to tell you that Moses' mother is sign of her trust and faith in God that somehow God would deliver her son had stationed Moses' sister Miriam at a distance to watch and see what would happen. Now, do you think she was stationing Miriam to watch the death of her brother? What mother will do that? I think she stationed Miriam because she knew, I can't tell you how, but this God we serve is going to deliver my son. I want to encourage you you might not know how, but can you believe that God can make a way? He makes a river in the desert or rivers in the desert. He makes a way in the wilderness. Believe that he can make a way. How is not your problem. That is God's. He has trillion ways he can do it. Yours is to believe. And so Miriam stands there and is watching. Pharaoh's daughter walks by. And as Pharaoh's daughter walks by, she notices the basket in the river. You know what? If God wants you noticed, there is nothing anybody can do. The basket was made of reeds. It must have looked like the reeds. But according to the plan of heaven, it was time for Moses to be noticed by Pharaoh's daughter. I want to declare to your life that it is time for you to be noticed. It's the set time to favor you. The time for you to arise. I declare in the name of Jesus that in spite of all that is happening, this is your time and your season. If you would receive it in the name of Jesus Christ. Pharaoh's daughter notices the, the, the basket, sends her handmaidens and they bring the basket out of the river. And when they do, she looks into the basket. Oh God, the power of God. This is her enemy. She is the daughter of the man who is leading the persecution of his people. She has heard, been told that these people are evil and terrible, that they will overrun them if they are not killed. She knows her father has given an instruction that the male children should be killed. But when she looks at him, because God's plans must be fulfilled, Everything has to work together to fulfill God's plan. I declare into your life that everything has to align to bring to pass God's plans and God's purposes in your life. If the enemy has to work to do so, then the enemy is employed to do so. And so she looks at him and something happens in her heart. Her heart melts. She, she looks at him and her heart reaches out to him. The small baby in the basket finds favor with the daughter of, of, of Pharaoh. May you find favor with whoever God says you should find favor with on this journey. May the favor open the door for you. May people speak about you 
speak about you to your benefit in places where you are not even aware that they're speaking about you. That is favor, supernatural favor. May the supernatural favor of God rest mightily on your life. May it propel you into destiny, propel you into God's plans. So she looks at him and she decides she's taking him home. Can you believe that? She takes the enemy into her house. But why was that necessary? Oh, God is in absolute control. Because God needed Pharaoh to be brought up in the best schools, the best education. He needed Pharaoh to understand how Egypt worked. I mean, not Pharaoh, pardon me. He needed Moses to be brought up in the best schools. He needed Moses to be brought up by the best teachers. He needed Moses to understand how Egypt worked. And crucially, he needed Moses not to have a fear of the palace or a fear of Pharaoh. Because God knew that in a short while, I will be sending you back. And when I send you back, there must be no fear. So, of course, Moses grew up in the palace. Listen to what the Bible says about Moses in Acts, the seventh chapter and the 22nd verse. The Bible says, Acts 7, verse 22. So, Moses was educated in all the wisdom and culture of the Egyptians, and he was mighty, powerful in his speech and deeds. You know what? God employed the enemy to pay for Moses' education. Isn't that amazing? That God will cause the enemy to work for you. If there's any enemy that is working against you, today I declare in your life that from this moment, that enemy will start working for you. God made the enemy facilitate his plans. The enemy has attacked you. The enemy has thought, thought he has stopped you. The enemy has afflicted you. I declare to you, that every affliction of the enemy, every attack of the enemy, every attempt to stop you, to trip you up, every attempt to prevent you from entering what God has planned for you, I declare that like Moses, God is using it to work out his own plans and his own purposes. Had they known, they would not have crucified our, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If they had known, they would not have tried to afflict you tried to bring that sickness on you, tried to stop you in your tracks, tried to cause your business to collapse, tried to attack your marriage, tried to attack your children, tried to bring depression, tried to attack your mind, tried to bring poverty, tried to attack your finances. Because all those things, God is using it now to work out his own plans and purposes in your life. And I declare that every attempt to stop you, every attack against you, is going to glorify God in this season. Amen and amen. And so Moses grows up in Pharaoh's palace. He becomes very conversant with the palace. He knows everything, everything in the palace. He, he, has, he, he, he has a free run of the place. Uh, it, it, they tell us, historians tell us, that when he finally came back, that the Pharaoh that was on the throne was his half-brother. That's what some historians tell us. So he knew him. Uh, he couldn't act as a deity to him. He was schooled in the best schools of Egypt. He understood their ways. He was being prepared for a future. Can I say to you that everything you have gone through, don't despise it. Don't hate it. It is preparation for the future, for what God is going to do in your life. Nothing in the life of a child of God is wasted. Even things, even times when we veered off course, that veering off course is used to prepare you for what God is going to do. And so Moses grows up in the palace. But then 
As he grows up in the palace, there's a tension within him, the tension of a call, the tension of destiny. He kind of doesn't feel at home. He doesn't fit, feel like he fits in. He feels like there's something God would have me do. Can I pray for you that that, that tension in you as, you, as you say to yourself, there's a bit more to life. I, 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 I need to find out what God's plans, God's purposes are for me. Can I pray that the spirit of revelation will come upon you and begin to reveal to you what God has planned for you? And one day Moses goes out and he sees an Egyptian oppressing a Hebrew child. Something rises up in him because he knows this is his kith and kin. And in anger, he kills the Egyptian. Now, as soon as he do does that, he knows that he's in trouble. He's a murderer. And so he escapes. The Bible tells us he becomes a fugitive. But then he eventually arrives at Midian. And when he arrives at Midian, he's taken in by the, by the, priest, the, the priest of Midian. And he marries one of the priest's daughters and settles into what he can only assume is obscurity. You know, some people are there. They're thinking... It could have been better, but it's too late. They're at a place where something they cherished has collapsed. They're at a place where they feel they're getting on in age. They're at a place where maybe the enemy has afflicted them for so long, they're beginning to settle down. And I guess Moses settled down for 39 years, 364 days. But you know what? That process was also to make Moses right for God's assignment. For the boisterous, probably slightly arrogant, certainly immature, and probably uh, 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 the young man that was too forward, the Bible records that he became the meekest man on earth. Whatever you passed through, was God preparing you for your assignment? I declare that this is the season of your assignment. And so one day Moses is taking the sheep to pasture, his father's sheep to pasture. But God has decided that that day, it will be different. On that day, he has an encounter. The Bible records it in Exodus, the third chapter. He sees a bush that is burning, that is not consumed. A sight that arrests him. Circumstances that make him stop. I dare say that this pandemic and the lockdown is a burning bush experience for all of us. I hope you will use it like Moses used his. I hope you will come out of this encounter with a deeper relationship with God. This is holy ground, Moses was told. You're encountering a holy God. I hope you, we're not just going to let it pass, slip through it, be bored. I hope we will spend the time seeking God and having multiple encounters with God. With, because this is a burning bush experience for the world. And so Moses is arrested and Moses has an encounter with God. And then God gives him his matching orders. I pray someone listening will be getting their matching orders, getting greater clarity as to their purpose. You see, once you have purpose, the enemy cannot stop you. And so God speaks to Moses in Exodus, the third chapter, verses 7 to 10, as I start to come to a close. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard the cry, their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. 
Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Hundreds of years later, the covenant-keeping God at the appointed time, and I declare to you that there is a timetable in heaven. There is a clock in heaven. It might not be the same as our clock here on earth, but believe me, it is never too late with God. At the appointed time, God comes to meet a deliverer and says to him, I have heard the cry of my people. Thank God the people kept crying. He says, I have seen their affliction and I have now come down to deliver them from the hands of their taskmasters, from the hands of the slave drivers, to set them free from slavery, to take them out of Egypt so that I can take them in to a land that is spacious, a land flowing with milk and honey. What has God said to us? Same, the same thing. At the appointed time, he sent our own deliverer. His name is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of God, his only begotten son. He sent him at the appointed time and according to the timetable of heaven, he came down to earth, spent a while so that he could be able to say to God in heaven, I have lived with them. I understand them. The Bible says that he's seated on the right hand of God in heavenly places. I always say to people that that is, that is necessary because as he sits there, the Bible tells us there's only one ministry that Jesus is involved in now, the ministry of intercession. And so what does Jesus do? He leans over and intercedes on my behalf and on your behalf, whispers into God's ears so that God can have mercy on us. At this point in time where the world is, who's our number one intercessor? Who's crying out for mercy so that the wrath and the judgment of God does not destroy the world? It is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, seated on the right hand of God, crying out for mercy for you and I. And we have our own Savior. His name is Jesus. And he also had his instructions. His instructions were clear that he will go down and he will save us. Save us from our sins. Save us from the slave master called Satan. Deliver us from darkness. Uh, and we will talk a little about that later, about our own covenant. But for the children of Israel, it, it, the, the, the covenant that was made hundred year, hundreds of years ago, it bore fruit. Moses received an instruction from God. Go and take my children out from slavery and take them in to the land that I have given to them. This was the start of Moses' journey to take them to that night to remember. And next week, we will continue the story as we march on towards a night to remember. But I want to leave you with this truth that God is able to do what he says he will do. He is a covenant-keeping God. He is bound by his promises. If you can receive that promise, if the Spirit of God breathes upon it and stamps it on your heart, then hold on to it because God is able to do what he says he will do.